So we are in the middle of a series of sermons called Chasing Happy. And last week we talked about Chasing Happy and how uh, this effort to chase happiness, this effort to try to get happy or try to be happy for the rest of our lives is uh, perhaps a fruitless pursuit um, because happy is a pretty elusive experience. As soon as we grasp it, it kind of slips through our fingers. And so we are exploring over these weeks, uh, what are the, what's the kind of life that Jesus invites us into that is deeper, more sustaining, and certainly more joyful. So today we're taking a look at the blessed life, and uh, there's no better place to look for and to understand the blessed life than at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Many of you know that Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is this collection of Jesus' sayings that we call the Sermon on the Mount, and they are uh, a wonderful um, framework of life. And uh, we begin that sermon by reading these words of blessedness that Jesus shares with the people of God. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in this way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. If salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read. And to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, for we pray this in his name. Amen. I am not sure if any of you know this about me, but I like sports. (laughs) Every once in a while, I let it slip that I enjoy following a team or two. Go Blue, Go Redbirds, Go Lightning, Go Bucks. Now, to be a fan of any sport, not to mention being a player in any sport, my baseball, basketball, and football careers were tragically cut short due to inability. (laughs) 
But to be a fan or a player in any sport is to give yourself over to, one, the passion of hope, and two, the risk of outcome. At the beginning of every game or season, there is this great shred of hope, right, held by fans and players alike, that things are going to go well, that points will be scored, that gains will be won, that losses will be few. But with such hope comes the risk of outcome. Points may not be scored, games may not be won, and losses may be many. And in between these two poles of hope and risk come Enormous feeling, passion, and emotion. Now, for those of you who don't necessarily get into sports, rejoice, because this means you're mentally healthy. (laughs) And it also means you'll probably live longer and will have lower blood pressure. But for those of us who are either fans or players, there is this great feeling, this irrational emotion, this passion that pours into every play, every game, every season. And all that feeling, all that emotion, all that passion results in what the old ABC show called the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. The thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. To be, a flat, to be a fan, to be a player, is to take your place between those two poles. Thrill and agony. If you don't want to feel one or the other, then best you not go anywhere near a ball field or a sports arena. Best not to choose a team. Best not care who wins or loses. When I played high school basketball, I cared very deeply about whether we won or lost. It's why I practiced. It's why I played my heart out. So you can imagine how I felt when our season came to a close with a record of three wins and 17 losses. (laughs) Agony was the name of our game, especially the game where I managed to shoot at the wrong basket. (laughs) But that's a story for my therapist. So if you don't want to feel especially if you don't want to experience both the thrill and the agony, then best you choose another activity, because here's the deal. You cannot participate in something that is potentially thrilling without it being potentially agonizing. That's just the way it works, friends. That's the way the world works. You cannot have thrill without the risk of agony. And you cannot have agony without the hope of thrill. A year ago, professional golfer Sergio Garcia won the Masters Golf Tournament, arguably the most honored title in all of golf. He had waited a long time to experience that particular thrill and to don the green jacket worn only by the Masters of the Masters. Nothing had given him greater pride. This year, same man, same golfer, same tournament on just one hole, the 15th hole, put his paw in the drink, not one time, not two times, not three times, not four times, but five times for a score of 13, the most strokes on a, on a hole in the history of that tournament. This has made golfers like me feel really, really good. <laughs> you cannot have the exhilaration of thrill without the risk of agony. So I wonder if this isn't a little bit of what Jesus is thinking of when he talks to us about the blessed life. 
Now, to make sure we're clear about this word that Jesus is using, he calls it the blessed life, which is a translation from the Greek word makarioi, which refers to a state or condition of being that has nothing to do with what some people call being blessed or blessings or God has blessed me with so many things. No, for Jesus, blessedness was likely the notion that he borrowed from the Psalms, where the psalmist makes frequent reference to the life of blessedness. Blessed are those whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Blessed are those whose sin is forgiven. It is the sense of well-being not too far from that state of shalom that we read about in the Bible, that state of peace and contentment, and dare we say joy. Last week we talked about happiness and how happy is contingent upon external events. But, but joy is something that someone experiences as a state of condition or well-being. It is well, the, the hymnist says, it is well with my soul. So Jesus, when he talks about the blessedness of life, is talking about the state of mind and spirit that despite how I might feel, I can still say to myself that I am attempting to do the right thing at the right time. So when Jesus begins his most important sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he begins with this list of blesseds. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And on and on he goes. So let's be honest. This is not the kind of list that's going to make it into the latest self-help. You can be successful book. You won't see this on the front rack of Barnes & Noble. You, yes, you can be poor in spirit. You, yes, you can mourn. No, that's not going to show up on the front rack of the bookstore. But that's really not the point that Jesus is making, I think. It seems that the state of blessedness that Jesus is inviting us into has everything to do with putting yourself into the arena of thrill and agony. The life of blessedness comes when you care to care. The life of blessedness comes when you dare to enter the arena of life and give a darn on what's going to happen on the field. The life of blessedness comes when you take on the passion of hope and the risk of outcome. The life of blessedness comes when you get your hands dirty. That's what lies behind the whole life and mission of Jesus, right? From the moment of Bethlehem when Mary lays Jesus in that dirty straw of manger, God takes on this life of feeling, right? The life of feeling. God takes on human feeling. And He rejoices with those who rejoice. And He weeps with those who weep. He struggles when the wine runs out. And He dances when the wine starts pouring again. He, he touches the wounds of the leper. And He incurs the wounds of the whip. He forgives the sinner and condemns the self-righteous. He raises little children to life and he stands weeping outside the tomb of his best friend and transcending all this is a God who steps onto the field and takes on the passion of hope and the risk of outcome who knows what's going to happen God says if I choose to get involved well the answer to that is good things and bad things thrill and agony, 
But blessed are those who feel, for they know they're alive. Life is, at the end of it all, what you've allowed yourself to feel. Makes me think to the time of sitting with a father, a young father, and between us is a hospital bed, and in the hospital bed is his 10-year-old daughter, 10 years old, and she's only got a few hours to live. We both know that. The doctors told us that. And we're sitting there quietly as his little girl unconsciously sleeps. And his body, the body of this young father, is just shaking with sobs, just shaking with sobs. And when he can sob no more, he says, I never knew what love was until today. I never knew it could hurt so much. And I would not trade it for the world. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. The old preacher Phyllis Brooks had it right when he said, People bring us well-meant and but miserable consolation when they tell us what time will do to help our grief. He goes on to say, We do not want to lose our grief because our grief is bound up with our love. And we could not cease to mourn without being robbed of affections. Forty years ago, when Anwar Sadat, the president of Egypt, embraced the risk of outcomes and decided to fly to Jerusalem to begin peace talks with Israel's prime minister, Menachem Begin, they both knew the risk and reward. Easier just to stay home, say it's just never going to change. But peace they sought. Peace they made, and as it turns out, peace they kept. And with the thrill of the Camp David Accords and with the thrill of the Nobel Peace Prize awarded to both men came, as a result, Sadat's assassination. Likewise, years later, Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin reaches out to Palestinian Yasser Arafat to gamble on peace and after arduous negotiations comes the thrill of the Oslo Peace Accords. And again, the Nobel Peace Prize to both men. And again, assassination for one, Yitzhak Rabin. But blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. The passion of hope and the risk of outcome. Blessed are those who feel. It's maybe what Jack London, the great author, was thinking when he said, I would rather be ashes than dust. I would rather that my spark should burn out in a brilliant blaze than it should be stifled by dry rot. I would rather be a superb meteor, every atom of me in magnificent glow, than a sleepy permanent planet. The function of man is to live, not exist, he says. I shall not waste my days trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. So what might Jesus say to our friends here this morning, our young confirmants? Well, maybe what he might say is that pretty soon you will be challenged and pressured to pursue many different kinds of lives. And some will want you to pursue the successful life. 
Some will want you to pursue the comfortable life. Some will want you to pursue the privileged life. Some will want you to pursue the self-centered life. Some might even try to tell you to play it safe. Stay out of the game. Hedge your bets. Protect your assets. Run out the clock. Little risk, little thrill. Why get involved, they'll say. It only gets your heart broken. Well, then, of course, you'd be missing the whole point. For what good is salt, Jesus says? It's just lost its taste. What good is light if you hide it under a bushel basket? No, he says, the blessed life is loving enough to get your heart broken. It's mourning so you can be comforted. It's being merciful so you will receive mercy. It's caring enough to care, making peace even if it costs something in your life, getting involved enough to get hurt, sticking your hands in deep enough to get really dirty, running onto the field even if it means you're going to lose, burning out in a brilliant blaze. I told you before of my love of the French Impressionists 19th century artists who formed an entirely new school of painting focused on strokes and dots of light and color that create an impression of an image. Monet, Renoir, Degas are the household names of the movement. But Camille Pissarro was really the grandfather of the movement, the pioneer, and as it turns out, my favorite. But when he was young, he had a father who owned his own shipping business, and what his father wanted was for Camille to be a businessman. He wanted him to start to work on the cargo docks and to spend his life working his way up the business ladder and following in his own footsteps. But Camille was an artist and for years conformed to his father's wishes and worked on the loading dock. But when he wasn't working on the loading dock, he would steal away and he would paint and and he would feel and he would paint and he would feel and he would paint. But after years of doing this and hiding his light under a bushel and just playing it safe to conform to his father's wishes, there came this time when Camille confronted his father and said, Father, I am not a businessman. I am a painter. And he left home and undertook the thrill of hope and the risk of outcome. Long story short, though he barely made any money his whole life, though his early Impressionism incurred the wrath of the arts community, though that he died a poor man, Camille Pissarro entered the arena. And God's beautiful grace poured through him and generations and generations of people have stood before those gracious creations to experience the beauty of God. And when asked late in his life about the journey, leaving the family business, disregarding his father's plan, choosing the life of a pauper, Pissarro responded, what I have been through, you cannot imagine. And what I'm suffering still is terrible. Nevertheless, it seems to me if I had to begin over again, I should do precisely the same thing. It's the blessed life, the passion of hope. And the risk of outcome. Fifty years ago this year, 50 years ago this year, a 19-year-old college student named Kent Keith sat down in his dorm room and wrote a poem. And years later, to his surprise, it ended up on the wall of Mother Teresa's children's home in Calcutta. And the poem, he entitled it, The Paradoxical Commandments. And the commandments go like this. 
People are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. The biggest men and women with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest men and women with the smallest minds. Think big anyway. People favor underdogs, but only follow the top dogs. Fight for a few underdogs anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight, but build anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you help them. Help people anyway. Give the world the best you have, and you'll get kicked in the teeth. But give the world the best you have anyway. It's the blessed life, the passion of hope, and the risk of outcome. Pursuing the thrill and accepting the agony, embracing the joy of trying to do the right thing at the right time. For blessed are those who feel, for they shall know they are alive.